Welcome to Hope Church. My name is Nate, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Hope Church, and we are so thankful that you have joined us today. We're in week three of our summer series called Solo. Everybody say Solo. Solo cup means one. One time use cup. And we're talking about being integral, which means you could have many, many different things that fill your cup, but you're one person all the time. Integral, right? How many of you guys are enjoying this series, this summer series? It's oh good. We believe it's a series about character and integrity, and we believe if the solo series is applied to your life, this solo series will take you so high, and here's the catch, for so long. Because we're not interested in just short-term success here at Hope Church, but we're looking for long-lasting lifetime of success. And where does legacy come from? Where does long-lasting success come from? Character and integrity. It sets you up to win long-term. So this solo series takes your life so high if applied for so long. Thank you so much. So long. So high for so long. I want to die climbing higher about you. I want to keep growing and showing. We don't come to you as if we'd have arrived, Paul said. I don't, I don't talk to you about the high calling in Christ Jesus as if I'm there. But I call you up to where I'm at, where, where God's taking me because um, I, I can keep growing. Ever say, keep growing. Throughout the series, we've been saying that character is the cup that carries the anointing. Character is the cup. Anointing is simply put God's ability, God's super on your natural. You got natural gifts, you got God-given gifts, but God, when he comes on your gifts, something different happens. Isaiah 10, 27, Isaiah 10, 27 defines the anointing as a burden-breaking, yoke-destroying power of God on your life. It's something where you're not just set free, but you have the anointing on your life to set other captives free. And character is the cup, the container that carries God's power, God's ability to break bondages and brokenness off other people's lives. I don't know about you, but that's exciting to me. I want to carry something to my generation that helps them with more than just me helping them. I want God to liberate people through me, to me, and through me. Amen? And we're talking about the thing that character is the thing that carries the real party to the people. These solo cups, they carry the party to the people, right? Whatever's in your cup, it gets the party to your lips, and then it starts to move your hips, depending on what you're drinking. And we've been talking about carrying the real party, long-lasting success, to the people around you. To get started today, we're going to jump right into 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Starting in verse 24, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Every week we go to the Word of God, we get it's alive, it's active, and it calls us to greatness. Amen? It teaches us how to live a champion life. Paul talking, he says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? It's deep stuff, right? Everybody runs in a race, they run. But only one receives the prize. Now this is before everybody got prizes and first place trophies. It's like, only one, I would say only one. This made perfect sense up until like 2010, and it's like, everybody gets a prize. Okay, but only one, right? In the Olympics, one, two, three, gold, bronze, silver, right? It's like one gets the gold, okay? So it kind of makes sense still. Run in such a way that you might obtain it. Obtain what? The prize. That you might win. Run in a way to win the prize. You feel like a champion yet? That's what champions think like. I'm running not just to compete. Not just to be a part, not just to like hang out. I'm running to win. To win. Ever say to win. <laughs> Verse 25. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, what the heck does temperate mean? In all things, that seems like a lot of things, right? That word temperate means self-controlled and disciplined. That's what we're talking about. Self-controlled and disciplined. Self, let's say it together. Self-controlled and disciplined. In all things, the real competitors for the prize, the winners, are self-controlled. They're temperate in all things. He's saying the people who compete, the people in life that want to live it on purpose. Come on, somebody. The people who want to do everything God has called them to do and be everything God has called them to be. The people who care about reaching the goal and winning the prize. The people who want to apprehend that which they've been apprehended for. Come on. They are temperate. In everything. Discipline in everything. That word actually means to have dominion from within. Dominion 
from within. That's what we're telling this talk today. Dominion from within. If you're taking notes, right down the top of your sheet. Dominion from within you. Okay? Here's the thing. Nobody makes these people work out. Nobody makes these people. Nobody checks on them. Nobody's got to call them out. Nobody's got to correct them. They police themselves. They have dominion from within. Discipline. They live with a core value system that's not external. It's internal. They dominate life from a set of values inside of them. Not because they have somebody around them who protects them from themselves. Let me keep you on the straight and narrow. No, 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 no. You got your straight and narrow from within. Dominion from within. I love that. Don't you love that? Dominion from within you? They are temperate in everything. When you sit at a table and discuss your day, do you have dominion from within with your family? When you go out with your friends and you got the solo cup in your hands, do you have dominion from within you? When you're in an argument with your spouse or an argument with a coworker, do you have dominion from within? When you're in a circle that begins to gossip and assassinate people's characters and people's reputations, do you have dominion from within? Can you remove yourself from that cesspool of negativity? Not because somebody looked at you and said, you don't need to be here. No, because something inside of you told you, I don't need to be here in this circle. Do you have dominion from within? Yen. And that core value has the ultimate say-so in your life. When you're given the opportunity to cheat, given the opportunity to cut corners, given the opportunity to deceive or fix it or just kind of make it work, when you're given the opportunity to take what is not yours, do you have something on the inside of you that will pull you back to who you really are and not just what you want to do? Because there's a difference between being and doing. And core values get to who you are, not what you do. Are you catching that? This is what fathers in the faith help pull out of you who you really are. One of the reasons I love, I'm so thankful I have a good father on the earth, a good father in heaven, is because a father doesn't just teach you what to do. He doesn't just tell you what to do. He doesn't just show you what to do. He doesn't just teach you. He doesn't say, this is how you live life, and here's a skill set so you can be successful. No, nope, that's not the defining factor of a father. That's a teacher. The Bible actually says there's a lot of teachers. There's a lot of gurus. There's a lot of people, many teachers, a lot of people who can show you how to live and what to do, how to correct, learn, and grow. Coaches are everywhere, but there are not many fathers. What's the difference between a mentor, a guru, a coach, a teacher, and a father? Listen, fathers, I want you to catch this, fathers of hope. Being a father is not just someone who mentors and teaches and passes things down to your kids. A father anchors you to who you really are. A father asks really hard questions that anchor their kids to their core values. Not my core values, your core values. When I look at you, what is there inside of you? Fathers give you an identity and a security that has nothing to do with what you do in your life. Fathers give you a security and identity of who you are that has nothing to do with what you do with your life. My dad used to say you can do anything you want to do. You can do whatever God has for you. You can do whatever he calls you to. You can do what's inside of you. But he didn't ever, ever, ever talk about what I'm going to do with my life. He talked about who I'm going to be wherever I go and whatever I do. He gave me security enough and identity enough to say, what is at your core? Who are you going to be wherever you go? There are not many fathers. There are a lot of teachers who say, ignore who you are, and just do X, Y, and Z equals success. But I want to ask you, who is challenging your core in your life to bring you to real success before you even get started? Because there is such a thing as success before you even get started with that entrepreneur um, deal, before you even get started with that business, before you even get started with that new idea. There's a, there's a, it matters who you are before you start. Who is helping you define your character and giving you an internal image, your imagery before dominion? We've been talking about it in Genesis. God said, let us make man in our image and then go take dominion. Image comes before dominion. I'm not just talking about earthly fathers. That's part of the reason why we relate to God as our father. Because he gives us our identity, our image. And then he says, go dominate. But take dominion from within you. That's part of the reason we, we worship God. Because he's a great father. And one of his major roles is to conform us into the image of his son. We talked about this last week. One of the major roles of Christianity is be conformed. You were created to conform into the image of Christ. Be less like you and more like Jesus or Christ, the anointing. What? 
That's what that word means. Jesus Christ. Christ isn't Jesus' last name. Christ is anointing, the anointed one. Jesus, the anointed one. So if he's trying to conform me to the image of Christ, he's trying to conform me to the image of the anointing of who Jesus was. Image. Let's say it together. Image before dominion. Because you don't take dominion from the outside. You take dominion from within. From in and all, y'all. And your father, he's a good father. And that's why he doesn't just teach you what to do. He cares about your core. He cares about the core values that you live your life by. He asks you about your character. The Holy Spirit and the Father, they get in agreement together and convict and convince you to focus on your character too. Who you are, not just what you do. He cares about the way that you see yourself from within yourself because that's how you really win in life. You win from the inside out, not the outside in. Come on now. This is opposed to what the world has taught you since you were six, since you were five and started going to school. You don't win because of what you know. You don't win because of your level of education. You don't win because of what you learn or what you can do. You win because of who you are before you do a darn thing. And that's what they used to teach in school, but they don't any longer. Character, values, integrity, who you really are before and besides what you really do. And you notice... That's not a part of our curriculums. I'm not batting, bad-mouthing education. I love education. I, I love higher education. I'm just saying, honestly, the world teaches you win because of what you know. <laughs> but God teaches you win because of who you are in me. You win before you do a darn thing, and then you have life to the fullest. Everything external lines up to who you know that you are internally. I'll say that financially for your life relationally for your life everything externally in your life lines up to who you believe you are internally that's why you married him and not him because you thought that's what you were worth that's why you raise your kids like this because that's what you see your worth from your imagery from your parents you see what you believe your worth is internally it is drawn to you in life what you believe your worth is Come on, from the, as a man thinks in his heart, so his life is drawn into. As a man thinks from his internal belief about himself, his subconscious belief about himself, so his life goes. And so he is, more accurately. And what do fathers do that teachers don't do? Fathers anchor you to your who. Fathers anchor you to your core. Fathers anchor you to what it is you really are before you do. So the question is, do you have something on the inside of you that will pull you back into who you really are when you feel like doing something dumb? That's called character. Something on the inside of you that pulls you back to who you are before you go do something dumb. If you're running in a winning way, Paul says you're temperate in all things. That's a lot of things, Paul. You're self-controlled. You're disciplined in all things. Are you temperate from your mouth, with your mouth from within? Are you temperate with your mouth from within? Are you catching me? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Are you temperate in all things? Or do you just say anything that comes in your head? Are you temperate with your temper from in? Or do you just act out on any feeling you have and just freak out in anger? It's dominion inside of you. Do you have dominion over your temper? Do you have dominion over your emotions? When you get emotional, do you just say anything? Or do you have dominion over your feelings? Even when I don't feel it, I have dominion over it. Do you have dominion over your passions, your flesh, your lust? Do you dominate in these areas, or does any area dominate you? Or you just kind of do it because you can't control it. It's like, I'm all alone. What do you do when you're all alone, nobody's watching, and you're just like, man, I can't help myself, but I got to? Maybe it's eat the ice cream. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's look at the computer. Maybe it's something different. I don't know. What is do you dominate it or does it dominate you? And you have like no choice. It's almost like I'm a victim of my own flesh. Paul continues just a few verses later. He kind of levels it up in verse 27. How are we doing? You ready to take it to the next level, verse 27? He goes on to say, I don't feel good all the time. I discipline my body. Sometimes I'm extra, you know, hungry. I discipline my body. We could do another H. Sometimes I'm really extra. I discipline my body. I tell my body what to do and bring it into subjection. Lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. And again, this is not a message to preachers. This is a message to the church. 
And I want to tell you, I'm not a preacher. You're a preacher just as much as I'm a preacher, as much as anybody's a preacher. We all preach. And so listen like you're a preacher because you're preaching to everybody in your world. He says, I discipline my body. It means I bring my body under servitude. My body yields to my spirit, man, and it bring it into servitude. That means my body serves my spirit. He's saying, when I have an option, my mind, my will, and my emotions, or my soul, they always push, I always try to push towards my spirit, man, not my flesh, man. We talked about that in week one if you want to catch up, okay? So we all made of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Your body, your flesh, it runs away from God. Your spirit runs after God. And your mind, will, and emotions are in the middle saying, what are you going to bring me into subjection to? Mind, thoughts, am I controlling my thoughts? Will, what do you want? And emotions, how do you feel? I want to push it towards my spirit and shut the body down. I bring it into subjection. Everybody say, shut down. Shut it down. So he's saying, the people who want to live this life being everything they've been called to be and doing everything God's called them to do, he said they run the race on purpose. They know what they're fighting for. They know they're not just running to run, but they're running towards something in a winning way and temperate in all things. In other words, it doesn't matter what environment you put me in, what group of people you place around me. They have a set of values that do not change. I'm the same person all the time when everybody's looking, when new people are looking, when old people are looking. No matter what, I am always one integral solo person. Amen. So fun. Do not change. I'm unchangeable. And when they're tempted to move past those core values, those lines, the lines are stronger than the temptation. Their lines of core are stronger in their spirit than they are in their flesh. He said, I bring my body under subjection. So when I preach, he said it for a reason. So when I preach, so when I serve others, so when I use the anointing that's on my life, because I'm here to break other people free, set other people free. So when I do what I'm here to do, which is really liberate the captives, break off yokes, break off bondage. So when I preach, I'm not full of nothing or other things. I'm not disqualified. Your body is your flesh. The Bible says, he who sows to the flesh is death. So if you run with your flesh, it leads to death and destruction. But he who sows to the spirit, man, is life to the fullest and peace from within. Woo! I love that verse. Sow to the flesh, reap death. Sow to the spirit, reap life and peace. Dominion from within you. That's good stuff. So that's, I mean, I'm not a rocket scientist. I'm not really the smartest person, not the sharpest tool in the shed. But I sow to my spirit as often and as hard as I can because I want life and peace. How about you? And I know my flesh leads me down death, destruction path. It just stinks. Stinking thinking, stinking feeling, stinking mind, will, emotions. Stinking will. Stinking death. I want to produce productive things. How about you? If we sow to the body, if we sow to the body, something's going to start dying and deteriorating, even if it feels good. The Bible says it, it's fun for a season, and then it leads to destruction. Temperate in all things. Sowing to the spirit man. Are you tracking? Can I just ask you today, what do you spend your time sowing into? Are you thinking about the world going to hell in a handbasket and all the ways you can protect yourself from it? Or do you spend your time thinking about the kingdom of heaven? Who Jesus is and what he has for your life and how you can make a difference and be salt and light in the world while you're still here. Doom and gloom or destiny and glory. I love that. I think about my destiny. I think about bringing God glory. Herein is your father glorified that you bear much. Are you, are you doom and gloom or destiny and glory? What do you spend your time sowed into? I sow into my destiny. I sow into the glory of God. I sow. What do you spend all your time thinking about? Did you know that every thought is a seed that you don't want to germinate? Where are my guns? Where are my bunkers? Where are my buddies? Do you really want that to germinate in your life? I'm not bashing you. I'm just asking. If you spend all your time thinking about it, you're going to get what you go for. I want to spend my time thinking about how can I reach somebody and set some captives free? How can I help somebody be liberated from within? I ask you, who do you spend all your time thinking about? Now, naturally, the, the right answer is me. That's who I always spend my time thinking about. It's so easy for me to think of me. Maybe you're more Christian than me, but I always spend my time thinking about me. What do you spend your, who 
do you spend all your time thinking about other people or yourself? I mean, one leads to life. One leads to a, a spiral that's never happy. Are you catching me? And then he says, I bring my body under subjection. <laughs> I, love, I love this. Are you, guys, are you guys still with me? You're watching online. You're with me. In other words, I bring what I do under subjection so that I may be heard. The whole point of Paul telling us this is that people hear your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. People listen to your life, and your life aligns with his ways, his word. You are integral. You are one, and you represent the image of Jesus, the anointing, and not just you. What makes your words so powerful? That's what he's asking. How do you get people to listen to your words? Well, I say things in my house and nobody listens. I say things to my buddies and they don't listen. I say things to my girlfriends and they will not listen. How do you get your words to have weight? How do you get your words worth something? The fact that you've disciplined your life in such a way, I respect your instructions. That's how you get people to listen. Discipline, be temperate in all things in such a way that I respect when you speak. I listen to what you're saying. Now, some of us hear discipline. And we think discipline in all things, temper in all things. We think, man, I got to make myself be a good person. And that's the opposite of what I'm saying. I got to really force myself and discipline myself. I don't want to go to the gym, but I got to get up. I got to go to the gym. I just got to do it. And you white knuckle it and you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you push your will until you inevitably fail. My relationship with Jesus, what I'm talking about today, my relationship with discipline according to God's word couldn't be further away from that reality. Make yourself, got to, you don't want to, but you have to. Choose the right thing, do the right thing. That is the opposite of my Christianity and my walk with Jesus. I'm a strong believer of vision that disciplines you by default. I want to say it again. Discipline that disciplines you, vision that disciplines you by default. It's like, oh my gosh. Where does that come from? A self-image that's rooted in Christ. Where does it come from? How do you get a vision? You get a vision of yourself, not a, I'm just going to go extreme here, just not to pick on anybody, but I'm not, when I close my eyes, do I see myself as 400 pounds? Or I close my eyes and see I'm worth more than that? I'm not trying to pick on anybody, I'm just saying. You will align with a vision in your head. Nobody's going to have to force you to go to the gym if you see yourself different than you look. And that vision has to be powerfully strong. That vision will move you to defaulted discipline. It's almost discipline by default. If you get a vision for something that's strong enough in your line of sight, it will discipline you by default. It's almost like accidental discipline. Like, I don't believe in that. I don't think any vision's that strong. I can't see myself any other way than what I am. I was never taught to do anything like that. I never envision. I never see what God, I never listen to what God says and let it paint a picture so that I live according to his word. Well, listen, I want to talk to you about this guy. He was a rich, young ruler. And he walks up to Jesus one day. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And he's like, honor God, love people. And he's like, I've done that ever since I was a kid. As a matter of fact, I've done everything right my whole life, and I'm perfect. And Jesus is like, whoa, I thought I was God. But he doesn't go there. He's just like, okay. Then I ask you to do one thing. If you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, go sell everything you got, give it to the poor, and follow me. Forsake all and follow me. And the rich young ruler is like, man, I have so many riches, and I have so much authority. I have so much rulership. And what is riches and rulership, who am I without my riches and rulership? I'm just young, rich, young ruler, just young, dumb, and broke. And they sing songs about it, young, dumb, broke kids, right? Without riches and without rulership, you're asking me just to be young and dumb and, and broke? Jesus, why do you want to take my life from me? He says, I, I just want you to do one thing, forsake all, sell it, give it away, and follow me. And this guy walks away because he had lots of riches and lots of rulership. And he's like, I'm not okay just being young. I don't know who I am without riches. And I don't know who I am without rulership. I'm afraid because I have nothing at my core. I find my identity in my stuff and I find my identity in my title. And Jesus is like, man, I could bring you into life to the fullest. I have a question for you. Is Jesus trying to ruin this guy's life? Is he trying to make him poor? 
No, actually, if he follows Jesus, he's going to get his taxes out of the mouth of fish. He's going to have more food than he knows what to do with. He's got more influence with people than he's ever had in his life. We don't even know the guy's real name, yet we know Peter's name, James' name, John's name. Everybody who forsook everything and followed Jesus, we know their names. They echo through the chambers of eternity. I mean, these guys are forever remembered. We want to give him rulership. We want to give him authority. We want to set his life free to the fullest. Jesus has good things in store for this guy, and he wants him to be wealthy. As a matter of fact, Jesus knows his purse is bleeding. You know why he knows that? Because he works with Judas. And Judas is a jerk. And I'm seeing an opportunity for a 12th disciple replacement, aren't you? Somebody who's good with money, somebody who understands business, somebody who's good at rulership, and I would like to replace Judas on my team. I'm looking for the perfect 12. I'm looking for the right 12. And maybe things don't turn out the same way. But I'm telling you what, you could be my 13th disciple. Just sell everything. You'll be remembered forever. You'll never lack any good thing. He'll give you all your heart's desires. I mean, he's like, you're going to be on fire. He's like, I feel like you want something from me, and I just can't ruin my life for you. And the Bible says he walks away sad, sad, because he had great possessions and he had great influence. And Jesus feels so sorry for him. And there's this one time, not this time exactly, but Jesus is being left by people. Like people are leaving Jesus. The big crowd's leaving him. He turns to his disciples and he says to Peter, he says to all the team, Peter speaks up, are you guys going to leave me too? Everybody's leaving him. He says, you guys going to leave me too? Peter pipes up like Peter does. And he's like, hey, 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 Jesus, where else can we go? You hold the words of life. You are everything to us. You have the keys to my destiny. And we go back to this story and where the guy's walking away. And Peter's like, wait a minute. He just had an aha moment. He's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I, Jesus, what you just asked him to do and he couldn't do? I'm just realizing right now I did that. It's like I've been disciplined by default. It's almost like accidental discipline. I mean, you just walked by my boat one day. You filled it with fish, like so many fish, mind-blowing stuff. Just like the rich young ruler was seeing mind-blowing stuff, following Jesus in the crowds, seeing healings, blind people, sick people healed, all sorts of crazy deliverance and stuff. And he's like, what must I do to be your disciple? What can I do to be saved? And Jesus tells him, and Peter's like, I, I saw you do something crazy too, and my boat was full of fish. So much fish that we were sinking, and then you said, Two words to me as you walked away on the beach. Follow me. He says, follow me. And a couple more words. And he walks away. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. But two words, follow me. And all of a sudden, he says, you've been fishing for fish, Peter. But I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Will you sell your fleet of boats? Will you put them on pause? We know he didn't really burn the boats. He should have. But he didn't because he went back to fishing. But God works with him. And he's like, I won't sell the boats, but I'm going to forsake them. Leave them with somebody else. He abandons his business. He abandons all the people working for him and everything. And he just follows Jesus. And he's like, oh, I had an option, but I could have been not disciplined. I could have, like, not done the right thing. But it was like, was there really an option? He holds the keys to my destiny. You're taking me from fish to fishing for people? You're taking me from temporal to eternal? You're taking me from nothing to everything? I'm just realizing right now, Jesus, that I forsook all and I followed you. And that's what it's like to follow Jesus. It's the most fun, most exhilarating, and you don't even realize you're sacrificing. Paul talks about reasonable response, where you surrender everything to Jesus. And you're like, man, I, I, I surrender all to you. Take all my stuff. Take all my influence. I don't care. You can have everything. It's like, oops, you blessed me with so much stuff. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all these other peripheral things will be added unto you, not taken away from you. See, you think I want to take from you, but this is a for-you relationship. Every time you get into real relationship with Jesus, it's better what you leave is better, and what you gain is better. It's so much better with Jesus. It's easy to follow Jesus. 
And that's why I understand if you haven't seen Jesus for who he really is and you haven't tapped into what he calls you to and that blows your world apart, I'm telling you, it's hard to follow religion. It's hard to follow doing the right thing. It's hard to follow being a better person. It's hard to follow discipline. But it's easy to follow Jesus. It's like when you turn your eyes on Jesus, all this stuff grows strangely dim. It's like, oh, what am I leaving behind? What was there back there? All I am doing is fixing my eyes on Jesus. And when I see Jesus, I see my future. I see possibility. I see everything, and I'm leaving nothing. And yet, everybody says it's everything. You did what to serve Jesus? Have you seen him yet? You did what to serve Jesus? Have you, have you ever seen what he can do with your life? Surrender to him? You think you're losing? You cannot lose when you surrender to Jesus. You get more than what you gave to him every single time. You cannot lose with Jesus. You cannot outgive God, they say, in a spiritual way. You cannot outdo God. If you surrender to Jesus, you get more than you gave every time. Every time. Without a doubt. Every single time. I am not lying to you. Ask Peter. Following Jesus is so easy, but it was so hard for the rich young ruler because he couldn't see the value and fix his eyes he didn't see it he was in the same church in the same meeting couldn't see what peter saw and that's sad i want everybody to get the revelation of the knowledge of jesus christ you experience god you discover your hope in jesus that hope that changes your life your life will never be the same and the sad part is people think they're doing it people could be all around it and standing in the same meeting with jesus and not be able to let go don't be rich young ruler see him for who he is take the value trust him say if he's really worth that you'll sell the whole field give everything you got and you'll sell all you got and you'll buy the field for that one treasure that's what the bible's talking about this isn't just nice poetry nice lyrical stuff in the bible it's like a man who went out and he sold everything he had to go buy the field he's everybody else saw dirt and he saw diamonds that's what the bible's talking about what do you see when you see jesus I see high value on him and high value placed on me. I'm so magnetically attracted to Jesus. And he's easy to run with, easy to follow. Are you catching me? I want to tell you this because so many commands from God seem forced and from you. Go sell all. Give it to the poor and follow me. What are you forcing me to do? What do you want from me? But upon further review, God is actually offering you a life to the fullest. He's offering you blessings and promises, life to the fullest. I want you to hear another one, Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents <laughs> as in the Lord, for this is right. It's the right thing to do. Children, obey your parents. Adults, it doesn't say it, but it means it. Honor your father and your mother. It seems forced, but wait a minute. Even when you don't see it, everything God says is just like this. Verse 2, which is the first commandment with a promise. Verse 3, that it might be well with you and that you might live long. See, everybody sees Jesus one of two ways, from you or for you. And I'm like, man, he wants me to have a favored life. He wants me to have a well life. He wants me to enjoy a long life. He wants me to have a legacy that's worth something. He wants me to build something that's long-term success. At first glance, it seems like he's kind of hard. He's asking like a hard ask, like, ugh, hard ask. It's a hard ask from God, okay? I know what you thought I said, but it's hard ask. It's like, man, sell everything and follow you? Honor your not-so-honorable parents? Do you know my parents? But he's looking to set you free, and he's looking to bring you into life to the fullest. So verse 1 again, children, obey your parents as in the Lord, for this is right. It's right, but it's not like do it because it's right. Honor your father and mother. Wait a minute. There's a difference there. I want you to catch it. He says, obey your parents. Honor your father and mother. Well, why didn't you just say honor your parents? Because there's a difference. He said, obey your parents. Honor your father and mother. They're your father and mother for life. They're your parents for a season. Father and mother are something that doesn't change. Parenting is seasonal. Adults struggle with this all the time. How do I obey my parents? Well, they're not your parents anymore. You're a grown man. They're your father and your mother, and there's a difference. Is everybody with me? Parenting is seasonal. If you have adult kids, you are no longer a parent. Oh, I don't know who I am without my kids. You're not a parent, that's for sure. You're a mother and a father. You're an influencer. You're a wisdom giver. 
But you're not a parent. Don't try to parent adult people. Parenting is for a season. They obey you for a season. And then they honor you for life. Parenting is a role that your mother and father had for a season of your life. And you might not like what kind of parents they were, and rightly so. They may have done terrible things to you or terrible things to your sisters and brothers, but you still get to honor them because they were your father and your mother. Honor is always commanded to be given to life sources. Your father and your mother are to be honored, not because they were great parents. They may have been pitiful parents. But you honor your father and mother based on a decision you make, not what they deserve. Honor is always about a decision I make, not about what people deserve. Why? Because they were God's source of life to you. And we are to honor life sources. And without them, you would not be here. P.S. Even if you don't know your father... Even if your father was in a jar, even if you never met your father, you were hurt by your father, hurt by your mother, you can still honor them. Honor them. The Bible gives us a heads up. Honor God. Why? Because he's a life source. He's the author of life. He's the author and the finisher of life. He is the one. Without him, we do not exist. I don't believe that. He's the author. Okay. The Bible says that those teach the word are worthy of double honor. Oh, snap, he just said that. No, I'm saying what the Bible says. It's not about me, I'm just trying to tell you. Those who preach the word are worthy of double honor. Why? Because right now I'm a source of life. This word is spirit, and this word is life. And I'm bringing it to you with everything I got, and everything in the Bible. The Bible says, honor every life giver. God demands that we honor life-giving things. That's why we choose to be a church that speaks words of life only. We want to honor people. Why? Because life givers demand honor. It's a principle that God follows. And he will honor you if you honor life givers in your life. Verse 4, here it is. Are you catching it? And you fathers. So children, obey your parents. Right? Honor your father and mother. There's a difference. Verse 4, and you fathers. Listen loud, fathers of hope. Do not provoke your children to wrath. But bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. What does it mean to provoke your children to wrath? The word provoking means to frustrate because of instability. The word provoke means to frustrate because of inconsistency. So this is not talking about keeping your kids happy and having no problems with you so you never discipline them. He's saying do not frustrate your children because of your personal instability. Do not frustrate your children because of your personal inconsistency, dad. Rather, be integral. Like what you say, do. What you ask them to do, you do yourself. You want to have integrity. In other words, if you're going to have a habit... Don't ask them not to have a habit. If you're going to eat the red M&M's, don't stand there and eat the red M&M's in front of your kids. Well, Dad, that's how how do you feel, son? Don't eat M&M's. Pop M&M's in front of them. That makes me angry. Why is it okay for you, Dad, and it's not okay for me? Don't tell your children not to have it (laughs) if you are having it. That's provoking your children to wrath in a five-year-old body. Okay, take it up a level. Don't tell your children to handle their money well as teenagers if you don't handle your money well. Don't teach your kids how to do finances if you don't do your finances well. Don't tell your children to clean up after themselves and pick up their dishes and clean up their room if you never clean up after yourself and you always make her do it and you never clean your room. Are you catching me? Fathers, don't frustrate your children with your instability and inconsistency. Don't tell your children not to have sex outside of marriage if you're not. You get what I'm saying? That's called frustrating your children out of a double standard. Then he's talking. I want you to catch this. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to the church of Ephesus. He's talking to believers who are provoking their children. Well, I would never do that. He's talking to believers who are provoking their children and making their words about Jesus worthless. He goes on to say, training them in the admonition of the Lord. Don't provoke your children to wrath. Instead, train them in the admonition of the Lord. You're setting them up for failure, and it's improper training when you say one thing and you do another. It's not integral. It's no character. It might be better that they hear none of the admonition of the Lord from your mouth than to hear it from somebody who's provoking them as they say it. 
Dad, I know you say to be kind, but you're a jerk. Quit training me in the ways of the Lord. Gentleness, kindness, fruitfulness, patience. When you're never patient. Mic drop. It might be better for them to hear it from somebody else. Well, brother, train up a child in the ways of the Lord. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. Hallelujah. Yeah, just ignore the fact that they despise you and they have no respect for you because you're a hypocritical jerk. And you say one thing all the time. And for an hour and a half or two hours or three hours, with 1.5% of your week, you are one way. And then you go home on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and you are a completely different person. Just ignore the fact that your kids despise you and will not listen to your words, lest when I preach, they would hear my words. Everything I say and everything I do don't align, and I'm wondering, well, the word of the Lord won't return void, brother. Hallelujah. Amen. The word of the Lord. Train up a child, and he will not depart for it when he's old. The word of the Lord will not return void. It will if the writer of the check is bankrupt. If the Lord's saying it, and it's his word, it won't return void. But if the person professing and proclaiming the word of the Lord is bankrupt, you should write void all over that check every single time and ship it back to sender. Which is what a lot of young people are doing with our faith, by the way. See, God's not. His word won't return void. But they didn't hear it from God at age 6. They didn't hear it from God at 14. They heard it from you, sir. You're writing checks, they'd be fools to cash. They heard it from you, mom. You're writing checks that they'd be fools to try to cash in because they're going to pay the price when they inevitably bounce on them. Oh, I can't be two people and survive real life to the fullest with Jesus? You can't. It's miserable. It's pathetic. It's having a form of godliness with no power behind your words. No power to see depression leave your body. No power to see sickness gone. No power. It's like having a form of religion without the power of relationship with Jesus. No. No, 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 no. As a kid, here's what I'm going to do. If I see hypocrisy, if I see double standards, if I see you say one thing and do another, I'd rather just return the check void and honestly try to figure it out myself. Here's what Paul's saying. You will frustrate and your words will lose weight. I'll say it again. Paul is saying, you will frustrate your kids and your words will lose weight with your spouse when you expect a standard out of a child that you do not hold yourself to. Paul says, I bring my body under subjection. That's pretty wild. So that when I preach, I'm not disqualified. Character is doing what you say. And when a person they respect says something, they trust them. When they don't respect them, they don't listen to them. It's weird that way. Because a person has proven character and integrity over a long period of time. So in other words, Paul says, I live right for one really big reason. So that you will believe my words. I live right so when I go to pour this yoke-breaking, bondage-breaking, supposed anointing of Christ, it actually does something. I live what I say so my words matter. I'm faithful to your mom. Why? So you can believe my words. I'm the same person at home as I am at work, as I am at church. Why? So you can believe my words. I'm the same person behind the scenes, behind closed door. I'm a work in progress for sure. I'm growing and I'm showing and I'm not perfect. And I apologize for every place I'm not perfect or integral. But I'm consistently building my character and growing in integrity. Why? Lest I preach to you, son. I'm not disqualified. Lest I preach to my nine to five. I'm not disqualified. Lest I preach to my spouse. I'm not disqualified. Where I talk to my spouse and she actually says, you're not full of, you're really growing, honey. Paul said, I bring my body, my flesh under subjection. I make it temperate. I have dominion from within. I value system that does not change. And therefore, when I speak, my kids listen. And my coworkers trust me. And my spouse believes me. And they trust me. And I, I don't have to let people down that are around me. My team knows I mean what I say. I love that. Let's read it one more time as a church. And I also want you to say, this is... Think wherever it is that you preach, you preach somewhere. We're all preaching something to someone. Ask yourself, does my audience believe me? Let's read it together. 1 Corinthians 9.27. Let's read with Paul. But I discipline my flesh, and I bring it under subjection, lest when I have preached to my 
others, my sphere of influence. I myself should not become disqualified. He says, I don't let my flesh do whatever it wants to do. And then get on my soapbox in my sphere of influence and tell people around me how to live their lives. Right? How to live. So I choose integrity in private. So when I preach in public, the people I'm influencing, they know that I'm buying what I'm selling. Whatever you're preaching, whatever you're selling, any product, any person, any lifestyle, any value you have to offer anybody, I want people to, who preach it to do everything in their power to pursue it and to live it. Why? Because if it doesn't work for you, why are you trying to sell it to me? If you don't sleep with the pillow, why are you trying to sell the pillow to me? If you don't work it, why are you trying to make me work it? Everybody influences somebody. Do you exacerbate people around you? Do you frustrate your own family? Do you frustrate people around you because of inconsistency and instability? Or have you decided, I'm going to build my character cup and have integrity? I resolve in my spirit to say, yes, yes, I will build. You might be thinking, man, I've blown it. You're in the right place today. You might be thinking, nobody in my world believes in me. She won't listen. He won't listen. They won't listen. Nobody believes me anymore. I'm not even respected in my own home. I have blown it. They hate how I screwed them over at work five years ago because I was in need of something and I switched accounts and I did this and nobody trusts me at work. You know, I can't rebuild character after all the ways I've blown trust and ruined my reputation. I'm telling you, you're in the right place today. This is where you're supposed to be. You can say, that's impossible. You know what a loser I am? It seems so overwhelming. Where do I even start? You know who else could say that's impossible? David could say that. He murdered one of his best soldiers, one of his best teammates. He stole his best teammate's wife. All right, did you murder anybody lately and then steal their wife? Why is your impossibility bigger? Well, you're not supposed to compare sin. Okay, okay, okay. We're not comparing sin. Have you murdered anybody? Ask Paul, the murderer of Christians, to the church. What's in your, back, what's in your rearview mirror where you blow in trust with people? How am I supposed to listen to Paul? Paul, you killed my sister and my cousin Louie. You threw stones at them until they stopped moving. I'm supposed to trust you? That's when I preach. This is Ephesians. Okay, well, how does it help anybody to compare your sins to each other? Okay, I'm not comparing sins. I'm asking you, is it this bad? Did you kill your best friend? Did you steal his wife? Did you lie to it about the kingdom, like the whole kingdom? Did you lie about it and try to get everybody who's supposed to trust you and they just don't trust you? Guess what he did in Psalms 101, verse 2? He made a determination to start building today. He said, I will lead a life of? In my own home. In other words, where nobody can see me, that's where it starts. Where nobody cares about whether I'm doing it right or wrong, that's where it starts. When it's inside of me and my thoughts, when it's inside of me and my will, when it's inside of me with my feelings, that's where I'm going to start building my care in my own home, with my kids, with my spouse. What nobody knows about, I'm going to change there first. I'm going to work it from within. I'm going to have dominion from within me and dominion from within my home where fewer people are paying attention. So I'm not doing it so everybody sees how nice of a person I'm becoming. So nobody sees it. Or just the people that it matters most with. I'm going to build my character. I refuse, he says, to look at anything vile or vulgar. Verse 3, he said, I'm not going to have crooked dealings anymore. You know, like kind of like send my friend out to the front lines, have all the army see the generals pull back and him die. I'm not going to do that anymore. That's kind of disgusting. I'm not going to be involved with deals that are shady or unethical David wasn't perfect but he made up in his mind he was going to walk in integrity starting in his own home starting in his private life he goes on I will reject perverse ideas and stay away from evil I will not tolerate people who slander their neighbors I reject conceit and pride I'm not going to hang out with people who make fun of other people I'm not going to make out with people who are always negative about other people I will search for faithful people to be my friends Keep reading 101, and you'll find these verses. They're there. Instead of making friends with all the, the jerks and the backstabbers and the people who lie and steal and cut corners and do things, I'm going to find faithful people who are the same way whether I like them or not, whether they hurt my feelings or not, consistently the same, whether I like their personality or not. I'm going to find faithful people. I'm no longer going to 
be magnetized to people based on personality and gifting. I'm going to look for fruit that remains. He made a determination. He said, I'm not going to be uh, better than anybody else, but I'm going to build my character. Again, I want you to catch this. This is not a condemnation, beat down series. You're not good enough. You can't preach the word of the Lord, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 This is a character building series to evaluate and to say, I'm going to build. I resolve in my spirit to be a person of integrity. When you see me, you're going to get solo, one person all the time. Your name and your reputation is the most valuable thing that you have. Proverbs 22 says, a good name is worth more than great riches. And you can redeem it. You can restore it. You can rebuild. God can really help you. He's the X factor in restoring relationships, redeeming the time. Why? Because integrity is a staple mark of character, and character is the seed for trust. We're really talking about trust. And it's our desire here at Hope Church that the relationships that you have are healthy and thriving with high levels of trust. In your home, there's trust. With your kids, there's trust. At your workplace, there's trust. Your family trusts you. Your friends trust you. Your coworkers and your boss, they trust you. Here's the big one. You actually trust yourself. Where you make New Year's resolutions and you know you're not full of garbage. You trust your own values. Say, when I say it, I mean it to myself. If you can't win within, you can never win externally. I want you to trust yourself. And the beautiful thing is, no matter where you're at today, you can build trust again. No matter who it's broken with, you can build trust again. You can choose to build character today. Come on, if you believe it and you receive it, give Jesus a shout of praise this morning. Say, thank you, Jesus for being my redeemer. Come on, if you believe and you receive it, give Jesus a shout of praise today. I'm looking. Come on. Come on. I'm going to build. I'm going to determine. I'm going to resolve. Let's go. I'm not going to sit passively and watch other people get excited about it. Why don't I get excited? What, what do you do? I just build it. I let my, my life speak. Let your words speak too and let them align. Words and life align. That's integrity. Let's do it.